Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT Claiming compensation for PPI and card protection insurance, your rights explained. China, why the best investments are not always the companies you think. And are solar panels really a better way to finance your retirement than an annuity, as one minister claimed this week? Welcome to the FT Money Show, the FT's most downloaded podcast. I'm Jonathan Ely, and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form, with the help of my FT colleagues, Joe Cumbo. Hello. And Elaine Moore. Hello. Plus a special studio guest, Raphael Halpin, of the FT's premium research service, China Confidential. Hello. This week started with news that Lloyds Bank is setting aside another £1.8 billion for compensating customers who were missold payment protection insurance. Of that total, £300 million was for claims they'd already defended. In other words, Lloyds was forced by the Ombudsman to pay up for compensation claims that it had previously rejected. That provision takes the total bill for PPI compensation since the claims began in 2011 to almost £20 billion, equivalent to more than 1% of Britain's entire annual economic output. No wonder that banks are once again pressing for a time limit on PPI claims, although so far they haven't made much headway with that. And on the same day, the city regulator said that a compensation scheme for another form of mis-selling, credit card insurance, would also open for business. But how do you know if you've been missold a policy? And how do you make a claim? And what do you do if it is rejected? Elaine Moore is here to explain. Elaine, the PPI saga has been rumbling on for about three years now. Can there be anyone left in Britain who isn't aware that they might be entitled to compensation? I think they can, actually. I think that although everybody will have received those very irritating text messages telling you to reclaim, you know, 3,902 pounds, um, and although you may have seen adverts on the TV from these companies called claims management companies also encouraging you to reclaim your PPI in exchange for giving them some of the money that you get back. I think that that has become kind of background noise now and I think that the other really interesting thing that we should remember is PPI which is a really irritating jargony little term is not actually what some of this insurance was sold under the name of. So you might have heard of PPI, you might not have ever seen that word written on your credit card statement or your mortgage statement or whatever, it could have come under this kind of insurance could have been sold to you under lots of different names, uh, accident um, insurance, all sorts of 
different other terms. You might never have been told about it when you bought that debt in the first place. So I think that there are still quite a lot of people out there who just assume that they weren't sold it, and actually, maybe they were. Now, Lloyd's admitted this week that it has been forced to pay out against previously defended claims. If your PPI claim has been rejected by your bank, but you think you've still got a case, what should you do? Yeah, so I spoke to the ombudsman, and it turns out that so many of the cases that are sent on to them by customers who disagree with the answer that they got from the bank when they tried to reclaim some PPI. There are some banks, Lloyd's TSB, nine out of 10 cases that are forwarded on to the ombudsman, the ombudsman finds in the customer's favour. So that means that there are hundreds, thousands of claims out there that are valid that banks are turning down. So what this means is that if you have applied for a PPI rebate and the bank says no, don't give up, keep going. You don't have to go to a claims management company. You don't have to pay any money to do any of this. You just have to take your case on to the ombudsman. You have to wait. You have to give the bank some time to respond to you. If they respond to you and you don't like what they say, you can then take it on to the ombudsman. But you've got to do that within six months of receiving the answer from the bank. Now, the banks want a cut-off point for PPI. They want to put a line in the sand, a date, and say, well, beyond this point that we will not consider any more claims... Is there any chance that that will be applied? Do people need to hurry up? Yeah, it's not enormously surprising that the banks are asking for this. If you think back to 2011, think what Lloyd's said then that it thought PPI would cost and it thought it would be three billion just for Lloyd's. This week, because they've had to raise the estimate again, it's now ten billion pounds and that's just for Lloyd's. Within the whole industry, it's up to twenty billion. Quite a lot of consumer groups I've spoken to have said twenty billion is no way the end of this. That this the banks keep on and on underestimating how big a scale of mis-selling this this product is. So the banks would very much like to set a cut-off point because it means that then they would not have to deal with, you know, more claims from people that may not have even realised they've been missold. PPI yet. The city regulator has had talks with the banks about this and um, so it's it's out there as a possible idea. But this week the, um, the regulator said that it wants to make sure that this is in the best interest of consumers. So at the moment there's no chance of this because it's just not sure that banks are dealing with customer complaints properly yet. As I've said before, you know, the ombudsman levels of the number of cases that it is finding in the customer's favour indicates that the bank's customer complaints services aren't brilliant at the moment. Having said that, the fact that this is out there as an idea means that you might as well get on with it. And if you possibly think you were sold something, you know, sold a credit card, sold a mortgage, sold a personal loan in the last few years, go and have a look at your statements. And finally, there was also news this week uh, on claims against a company called CPP for missold card protection insurance. What's that all about? Is that the same as PPI or is that something different? It's very similar to PPI, but it's it's different. So it's another mis-selling scandal. It's another form of um, protection on a loan that was missold fairly widely. The difference in this that's quite interesting is that CPP, the company, and the banks that were selling this form of insurance uh, for the company have actually agreed to be proactive about providing compensation for customers. They acknowledge that this product was quite widely missold. So they are going to write to customers. Um, there are about 7 million customers who were sold this product and it could be up to £1.3 billion pounds that is paid out to them. The amounts of money are quite small. They think it'll be about 100 to £300 pounds that individuals receive. But the difference to PPI is that you don't need to go out and do anything. You can wait and you will receive a letter telling you whether you were sold this product. And if you think you were missold it, you get in touch. 
Elaine, thanks very much. There's much more about the claims process on our website at ft.com forward slash money. And why not check out our comprehensive guide to complaining about financial services at ft.com forward slash complaining. Bear in mind, too, that the Financial Ombudsman Service is free to use, unlike claims management companies who will take a hefty cut of any compensation you receive. Still to come on the show, can solar panels on your roof really pay for your retirement? But first, let's return to the issue of emerging markets. It's been another week of volatility on world stock and currency markets. The main reason for this is that the US central bank is reducing the amount of money it spends supporting the markets each month. But there's another reason too, China. For two decades, China has been an engine of world economic growth, sucking in raw materials, providing cheap manufactured goods and running up huge trade surpluses and reserves of foreign currency. But in late 2012, a new leadership team took over in Beijing, promising to rebalance the world's second biggest economy. China's new leaders want more domestic consumption, less corruption and a smaller role for the state. Almost everyone agrees these are noble ideas, but achieving them is proving painful. Growth is still impressive, but it's slower than it was, and there are widespread concerns about private sector debts. China's stock markets have been dreadful performers in the past few years, and shares in Chinese companies have rarely been cheaper relative to earnings than they are now. I'm joined by Raphael Halpin, a researcher at China Confidential. That's an FT-owned service that provides business intelligence on China to companies and investors. Raphael, many thanks for joining us. You've identified three key planks to the reform agenda in China. A smaller state, a more robust financial system and a crackdown on corruption. If we start with the role of the state, can you give us an idea how widespread state interference in China's economy currently is? So the key key thing here is that the, the Chinese government securing their policy objectives has taken priority over any development of a market-based system uh, free from state interference. Uh, so really state control um, spreads throughout the whole of the, the Chinese economy and society. One example uh, is the policy objective of keeping a lid on inflation, uh, making sure prices are not rising too fast. So that, that means that some of the big consumer resource prices are, are set by the government rather than the market. For example, the price of electricity for residential use, uh, and also all prices, uh, gas for cars. Another key policy objective for the Chinese government has been the development of a globally competitive manufacturing sector. So again, electricity prices for industrial users are set by the government, but also other key input costs, uh, for example, water, gas, um, and even freight, are not set by market demand, but by what the government perceives uh, as the correct level of pricing. So then in terms of the financial system itself, the government dictates interest rates. Uh, These are set by the the central bank at what seems to be quite a low level. Uh, So, for example, the official one-year benchmark loan rate is currently at around 6%. But outside of the official banking system, uh, in the shadow banking system, Loans are generally around 10%, sometimes as high as 20% a year in terms of interest rates. Now, we've heard a lot about this shadow banking system, this kind of unofficial lending network uh, over the past year. There was an attempt to curtail it uh, last year. What exactly is the shadow banking system and why is it such a worry? So, as we've mentioned, uh, the financial system is really just a, a tool of the state. So that means that uh, those areas of the economy that the government wants to support 
particularly large state-owned enterprises, receive credit fairly easily. But those areas, um, especially the private sector, that are not supported by the government, find it harder to secure capital. That means there's uh, a need for a shadow banking system, which is developed to serve those companies uh, that are, are not being served by the formal banking system. That's a fairly normal development uh, in any economy, but there are concerns uh, about the shadow banking system in China, particularly the fact that a lot of the funding for the shadow banking system doesn't come from conventional deposits, but comes from investment products sold with little uh, or even sometimes no information as to where the money is invested. Uh, and then there's another concern that the system is actually being used by official banks to circumvent restrictions on how much they can lend and who they can lend to. So a lot of the shadow bank system is actually off-balance sheet lending to get around those restrictions. And obviously that raises concerns that the shadow banking system is actually undermining the stability of the bigger official banking sector. Now, China is famously uh, corrupt. There's lots of sort of gory stories about uh, backhanders and so on. But then lots of uh, developing countries have problems with corruption. Why is corruption such a problem for the Chinese government in particular? Well, firstly, there's the question of social stability. We've had many examples in the past few years of officials being caught benefiting at the expense of the ordinary citizen, and obviously that's caused outrage. So increasingly vocal citizens, especially on the internet, are actually seeking out examples of corruption, and that anger quickly snowballs. And the fear is that that anger is being channelled at the state, and that given China's history, there's a, a real concern that people are going to begin to start questioning the legitimacy of this unelected government. And then the second issue is that corruption is actually an obstacle to many of the reforms that the government wants to implement. So officials are able to personally profit from state control, and they're going to obstruct those reforms to roll back the power of the state. So the government is making very clear by clamping down corruption that those days are over. Okay, now as the Chinese curtailed shadow banking system rein back corruption uh, and encourage consumption domestically rather than placing so much emphasis on exports, that will create lots of uh, winners and lots of losers. Many investors in the UK prefer to get exposure to the winners through companies who are listed in London and whose shares trade here rather than those whose shares trade in China. Now, very broadly, which sorts of companies look to be the winners and losers as China transitions to this more market-driven economy? Well, very broadly, these reforms are bad news for some of the traditional plays on China. So, for example, commodities. Commodities have actually had a fairly good year uh, in 2013, despite the slowdown in China. But if the government's looking to clamp down on shadow bank lending, uh, and that's a, that's a very big part of broader financing in China, that's going to affect some of the investment-driven demand for commodities, which has been so important to companies such as Rio Tinto and some of the other big miners. And then you have the corruption clampdown. That's going to affect some of the kind of high-end consumer goods companies, uh, for example, Burberry, as people have less uh, disposable income to spend, uh, particularly those that have generated the income through corruption, but also there's less demand for uh, very ostentatious symbols of wealth now. So then in terms of the winners, some of the companies that are targeting the middle class in China, they're likely to do well. So, for example, companies like Unilever. Thank you very much. That was Raphael Halpin of China Confidential. You can read lots more about the outlook for China, plus lots of ideas for shares and funds to buy in this weekend's FT Money. This is available on both Saturday and Sunday at all good news agents as part of the Weekend FT. 
You can also read online at ft.com forward slash money or on tablets, Kindles and other mobile devices. We're always interested in your views too. You can reach us on Twitter, the handle is FT Money, and you can leave comments and articles on our website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally, you can email us directly. The address is money at ft.com. On to our final item for today. Earlier this week, Energy Minister Greg Barker told a national newspaper that solar panels were a better way to generate a retirement income than buying an annuity. His reasoning was simple. Put your solar panels in the right place, and courtesy of the government's feed-in tariff regime, you could earn a return of up to 8% a year on your initial investment by selling surplus power to the grid. That's far more than an annuity will pay you, especially if you only have a small sum at your disposal. But is this really a sensible proposition? What happens if you die early? What happens if you live to a 100? And what happens if the sun doesn't shine? Do you have to do without food? Joe Cumbo has been looking at panels versus pensions. Joe, is the basis of Mr Barker's claims is this feed-in tariff regime for solar power. Can you explain how that works and how does it compare to the returns on annuities? Well, the UK is hardly California, but you'd be surprised that it is possible to make a return from solar panels. The sunshine is not essential, just daylight, but the returns will depend on many factors, including, as you mentioned, whether your roof is facing the right way. Just to get into the feed-in tariff, now this was a scheme which was launched a few years ago. What it does is offer guaranteed cash payments to households who produce their own electricity at home using things like solar panels or wind turbines. You receive a fixed rate for the electricity generated and what you sell back into the national grid. Plus, you benefit from making savings on the electricity that um, you're generating yourself. Now, advocates of solar panels say uh, these returns are guaranteed because the government subsidises the unit price of electricity. That's not quite the case, is it? Well, what is guaranteed is the tariff that you're locking into for 20 years. When this scheme was launched a few years ago, it was quite generous, but then the the tariff was cut recently and um, it can't be guaranteed to remain at the level it is. So what you lock into is guaranteed, but the tariff is variable. Okay, and what happens if you move house or if you go into care? Can you can you take the panels? Well, this is with one you? of the main drawbacks um, of solar panels: is that you've got to pay the upfront cost of installing them in your house, which is about four thousand five hundred pounds. It's going to take at least seven years to to get your money back on it. So you'll have to stay in the house for seven years, and then you might start to generate a return on it. And when you move you can't take it with you. So you'll lose the income from that solar panel that you might gain from an increase in your property price of having the solar panels. And presumably, of course, with solar panels, you don't get the things that you get with pensions. Um, you know, They attract lots of negative publicity, but you do get tax relief. You often get employers' contributions and so on. You don't get any of that with uh, solar panels. Yes, presumably. it was a very simplistic comparison to say that uh, the returns on a solar panel are 8% versus six percent which is what he quoted on what you could get with an annuity what happens is when you start saving for retirement you get co-contribution from your employer which is valuable basically it's free money so for every hundred pounds you put into a pension you can typically expect a further hundred back if you're a higher rate payer you can expect a further 25 pounds back from the government so for a 75 pound outlay a higher rate taxpayer can get a starting pension investment of 200 pounds so if you're thinking about diverting savings away from pension saving and, and into 
buying solar panels, you will lose out on that tax relief and you will also lose out on that employer contribution and you won't get that from a solar panel. Thanks very much, Joe. It all sounds like the sort of claim that only someone with a taxpayer-backed index-linked pension for life could make. More about panels versus pensions on our website at ft.com forward slash money and in this weekend's FT Money. Other highlights in this issue. City fund manager Terry Smith looks at the shale revolution and concludes that, broadly speaking, it's a terrible investment. Merrin Somerset Webb looks at whether US companies can possibly match the expectations heaped upon them in terms of earnings. We have some good news for holders of equitable life with profits policies. And if you're looking to remortgage, do it now because rates for longer fixes are heading higher. If you want to add your own comments, let us know about a hot topic or share your thoughts. You can do so via Twitter. The handle again is FT Money or go online ft.com forward slash money or via email. The address is money at ft.com. We'll be back next week. But for now, it's goodbye from me, Elaine, Joe and our special studio guest, Raphael Halpin of China Confidential. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.